Amen. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard of him? Uh, German uh, pastor, theologian, and martyr. In 1945, uh, because of his efforts uh, to see Hitler overthrown, he was imprisoned, and within a few weeks, uh, shortly before the Allied forces liberated Germany, um, he was hanged to death. It's a sad story. After his death, uh, some of his prison letters came to the surface. And uh, in them, he expresses his sadness at being separated from his family and his fiancée. While being honest about his own internal angst, he... Um, he affirms his trust in God's promises, even though deliverance was delayed, even though things weren't moving in the direction in which he had hoped they would go. Here's part of what he wrote. Who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and to exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and the call of God. We live in a world where there's lots of disharmony Relationally, relationally, people struggle at many levels. And God's prom promises um, on the that front that he will help us with the tensions that we feel, uh, they seem slow in coming at times. So our need is really for Christ to, to deepen our oneness. Uh, as families, as a church, as a nation, and as a world. Uh, our topic this morning is the unity of God's people. And it's a really encouraging one because it speaks to our need for hope. Um, the unity of God's people is a basis for encouragement. No matter how long you've struggled, no matter how long you think your relationships have been damaged or how badly they've been twisted, uh, how long you've endured painful separation or loneliness or grief or loss. And so the passage that we just heard a few moments ago, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, that's the one we're going to look at. Uh, if you have a Bible or if you have an electronic device, please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. What we're going to look at is immediately how these verses show us the people of God pursuing unity. And then we'll step back from that and ask ourselves the question, how do these particular verses fit into the larger picture? Um, how did the people of God really struggle with unity? 
And um, then we want to pause and reflect on how these verses get us to Christ uh, and then move on from that to look at some moves that you can make to be more like the Savior in the week that's ahead. Well, how did uh, the people of God pursue uh, unity? If you'll look in your Bible, you will see that the writer sketches out the picture pretty quickly. Verse 1, verse 3, and verse 5, what does he say? Then all the tribes came to David at Hebron. Then verse 3, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And then verse 5, he reigned over all. Israel and Judah. The narrator emphasizes this oneness, this unity, by three quick blips. Blip, 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 verse 1, verse 3, verse 5. Uh, the people of God come to David. Now, we don't see David taking the initiative here. Um, well, almost, but generally speaking, He's not taking the initiative. Uh, this is not to say that he was powerless. He does uh, enter into a covenant with the people of God. But it's more like he's a magnet than that he's giving some kind of direction. How did they come to this increased unity, this pursuit of unity? Well, with um, understanding, new understanding about themselves, about David, and about the promises of God. Uh, again, look at the end of verse 1. First, some understanding about themselves. What do they say? They say, David, we are your bone and flesh. They could trace their ancestry back at least as far as to Jacob. One of the basic requirements, God had said, Deuteronomy, one of the basic requirements for a king is that he had to be one from among your brothers. And so they say, oh, you are our bone and flesh. Now, the emphasis is not so much on David here, but the emphasis is on Israel as the people of God. They say, we are your bone and flesh. We are your body. And in saying that, what they're really doing is giving expression to the idea, we want to submit to you. As we claim to belong to you. Now we want to be responsive to your will. And they're also expressing something else in this understanding of themselves. They're saying, uh, David, we trust you. We trust you. Second thing is that they have some understanding of who David is, look at the end of verse 2. They say to him, in the past, when Saul was our king, 
it was you who led us out and brought us in. And that idea of going out and coming in was really a military term. Uh, it's used in a number of places in the Old Testament. David's role as Israel's savior had been in evidence for a long time, way back to when Saul was king. Uh, they were, frankly, a little foolish to have put off coming under his authority. Should have done it earlier. And now they also say something about their understanding of God. Again, uh, look at the end of verse 2. They come with God's promise about David in, their, in mind, and they say, uh, The Lord said to you, You shall be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You shall be prince over Israel. Now just think about those terms. Uh, Shepherd, my people, prince. Yeah, David had been a shepherd boy. Uh, he took care of the flock, and sometimes he would have to go and grab one of the lambs from a lion or a bear. Well, he would be shepherd over his people. My people. Um, Remember 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22? That would be a good verse to memorize sometimes. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, for it has pleased him to make you a people for himself. The Lord is committed to his people. The Lord's committed to you today. And then my people takes us to this next one. Uh, we're going to follow this king because we belong to God. We're going to follow this king because he's our leader, which is to say leadership isn't done by committee. David is responsible to set the pace for the people of God uh, he's the one who's going to take them as leader to places they wouldn't normally go by themselves. And then one other kind of sidebar comment that, that I'd like to pull out here. Did you notice what you find in verse 4? Um, the narrator summarizes David's life and kingship in this way. It says, he was 30 when he began, and he reigned for 40 years. Um, let's just do a little math together. Uh, 30 plus 40 is? Very good. And 70, uh, uh, two factors of 70 would be 7 and 10. And 7 in the Bible is? Yeah, and 10 is? And what? What the writer, what the narrator is doing is in linking those numbers together, he's saying, look, what we find here in David is uh, kind of him ascending to a more and more prominent position. This is the apex of God's kingship right here in this particular man. Well, those are some of the details that jumped out at me as we're, as I was reading down through these five verses. But what we want to do now is look at the larger frame and consider how um, 
Israel really struggled with unity. Do we have a slide that we could look at? There it is, in all its beauty. All right, so this will take a little explanation, but just bear with me. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, are by at least one outline part of a larger section that goes back to the beginning of chapter 2. And if you go back to the beginning, of, and what you'll see is these, uh, as it were, concentric circles that are around a center point of Abner defecting to David. So, letter A, David is king over Judah back at the beginning of chapter 2. Um, a primed at the end, David is king over Israel. That's what we just noticed in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Then if we move in, Abner makes Ishbosheth king, and then B primed, Ishbosheth is murdered. We'll come back to that in a moment. Inside that civil war, Abner kills Asahel, and then Joab kills Abner because he had killed his brother Asahel. And then right in the center is Abner defecting to David. What is all of this? Well, it's a rather typical way that many writers of the Bible structure the things that they have written. And the X marks the spot gets us to the center point. And what we want to see here is that in this, in this larger setting, there's lots of turmoil. I have so appreciated the careful way in which Agilon has taken us through much of that uh, history. When you look at it section by section and you don't have the overview, it can be a little disconcerting. What is the picture here? And I'll tell you what the picture is. We see David on the ascent in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and here what we find is Saul and his family on the descent. Uh, Abner makes Ishbosheth king because he wants to perpetuate Saul's family role in Israel's leadership. But it all falls apart. It's just a mess. You can imagine Israel, the, the people of God, having experienced this kind of turmoil and having said to themselves, there is no hope for us. Life is just constant turmoil. I, I, I mean, in some of those stories that, on which Agilon preached, there's lots of blood and guts. It's awful. What a sad state of affairs. And I hope as you think about this bigger picture that you will see something of the relevance of these verses that we're looking at for you now here in 2021. In his uh, commentary, John Woodhouse raises an important question and he says, why have human beings never really been able to build a society that is truly satisfying for people? And he answers his own question in three different ways. He says, well, first reason is that we aren't good enough. 
we're sinners. And our wickedness undermines every single human attempt. Neither education nor regulation ever can make it good enough so that we're completely happy together. Another reason he gives is because we're not wise enough. We're foolish at heart. We make foolish decisions. Decisions are made with good intentions, but they often has, have terrible, unintended consequences. Then he says, we're not strong enough. We are basically weak, dependent people. And even the wisest of human beings um, are unable to overcome all the obstacles that stand between us and harmony. Israel of old and we today in 2021 aren't good enough, we aren't wise enough, we aren't strong enough. Now, I mean, just reflect on what this last year has been like for us, how troubled our society is, how troubled our relationships can be over something we can't even see. However, there is very good news here. Rather than being remote or being unable to control history, God is establishing his kingdom, and that's what we see in the verses, in, in the structure that was just up there, and in this smaller section. Saul and his evil inclinations are on the decline. David, who has a heart for God, is being replaced, is replacing Saul so that God's kingdom can be established in the world. And in that kingdom, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Lord promises to do in us and for us what we can never accomplish on our own. And we see that coming to expression here now in the life of David and among the people of God, ancient Israel. And so then that brings us to this point. Where is Jesus here? Well, right off the bat, we can say, well, there are lots of ways that we can see Jesus uh, in this passage. For example, oh yeah, David points us to Jesus. He started his, his uh, kingship when he was 30, and Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. Uh, David is the grandfather. Jesus is the grandson. Um, David is anointed. Jesus is anointed. Uh, David gathers the people of God from many different places, and Jesus gathers the people of God from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. And we could go on and on. 
However, the Lord wants more for us from this passage than simply being able to make a list where we compare Jesus to David. He is after life change. You say, where does the Bible teach that? How about Romans chapter 8, verse 29? Ladies, you've been working in Romans chapter 8, right? What's verse 29 say? It says, we've been predestined that we might be We've been predestined that we might be, oh, this is awful. We've been predestined by Christ that we might be conformed to his image. The Lord is after change in us. Now, in this section, we get to an image of Christ and the change in which the Lord is interested when we look not so much at the similarities between David and Jesus, but rather when we look at the similarities between the people of God and the path that they take and the path that Jesus takes. Let's try. If I see it, let, let me see if I can develop that a little bit. All Israel comes to Jesus, uh, comes to Jesus. All Israel comes to David and submits to his kingship. Granted, it's not perfect, but they're moving in the right direction. What do we see in the life of Jesus? He submits to the Trinity. Where do you get that idea in the Bible? How about Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8? Paul says, you let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in human likeness and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Similarly, Israel comes imperfectly to follow David's flawed leadership, and Jesus, he comes to perfectly obey his father, giving himself fully to the father's agenda. Where does the Bible teach that? How about John? Uh, well, why don't we start with, I want to get to John 17, but let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then in John 17, verse 4, he says, all the, he's, he's praying in his high priestly prayer. He's praying and he says, Father, all the things that you've asked me to do, I have done. Israel enters into a temporal covenant with David. And what does Jesus do? 
He enters into God's everlasting covenant for us. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which was well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here's the point. Jesus establishes his kingdom as the spirit works in the hearts and lives of those who will believe and through their prayers. After all, remember, we're asked to pray, may your kingdom come. And so all of this then brings us to a final question and application. Where are you? What move does the Lord want you to make in the week that's ahead so that you can keep in step with the growth of God's kingdom? Well, the macro answer is this. The Lord wants you to live under the rule and the reign of his anointed king, Jesus, in this broken world. What would it look like for you to have boots on the ground to keep more in step with living under God's rule and reign? Here are a couple suggestions. Well, Maybe you'd freely choose to be more kind, more patient with somebody with whom you live day to day. Or maybe you would reach out to a neighbor. Or uh, perhaps <clears throat> you would say, I want to extend myself to somebody that I know who's in need in our church. Margaret Laird wrote a book, They Called Me Mama. And it's about her 50 years in a cross-cultural setting in the Central African Republic. She had a, a number of dangerous, um, seemingly impossible tasks. One was this, the mother of three small children she was asked to work among the cannibals of Ippi. I don't know where Ippi is, someplace in Africa. She was asked to work among these cannibals. And of, it, of her, it was said, her big heart and enormous physical stamina helped her envelop these people in her love as she taught them to love and trust Christ. She's living under the authority of God's rule and reign. After her husband died, she decided that the people of Ippi needed a hospital. And the mission agency with which she was serving said, no way, you can't do it. And so, she would go around to one church after another and say, could I have five minutes? I just want to tell you about the needs in Ippi. And it wasn't long before the Lord provided and the hospital was built. 
Where might the Lord be calling you to serve in his kingdom? I think that's the question if we're interested in life change. What are some steps that you could take in this next week? And as you ponder that, realize you're not alone. All that the Lord calls you to is rooted in the death and resurrection of Christ and in the work of the Spirit in you to make you more like Jesus. So remember Paul's injunction then, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labors are not in vain in the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this short section from the life of David and how it reminds us, gives us a picture of all that Jesus has done for us and all that you want to do through us. Encourage us, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand and sing one more song together?